You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom Aleichem. Welcome, everybody. Um, before we started learning, even with the uh, um, introduction geography uh, lesson that we'll give to the page that we have in front of us, um, we'll, uh, we'll start with a, uh, with a brief blessing. Say, Ribbona um, Shalolam, majesty of space and time. Uh, we pray that uh, you open our hearts to your Torah, whatever Torah we need to hear and to learn from and to use for our growth today. Uh, may you remove all uh, obstacles or blockages that uh, prevent us from uh, opening with, with learning with openness and curiosity, emotional resilience, uh, spiritual nourishment. And uh, we pray that whatever we learn today um, will find um, useful in our own spiritual paths, um, supporting our hearts, growing our souls, um, and enabling us to become the best people we can possibly be. Okay, so... um, just a brief uh, reintroduction for those who weren't with us uh, last month and uh, for those who were with us last month in case um, you need a little bit of a refresher. So um, the idea for this series was to um, learn from uh, some of the great Hasidic masters on uh, the issue of Jewish prayer or on the issue of prayer in general um, to hear what kind of spiritual insights they have um, about um, about this uh, thing that we do uh, or that we're asked to do so often called prayer that I think many of us um, struggle with and specifically the Hasidic tradition on uh, on the issue of prayer because it's really the Hasidic tradition um, that uh, Dives into the issue of prayer beyond the um, the the legal you know outlines and requirements of prayer. Right, so there's plenty of Jewish books on the different you know when, what what time are you supposed to pray and what are the words you're supposed to use to pray and uh, what's supposed to be going on in your life. What what, what do you wear when you pray? All that stuff. So there's a whole legal tradition um, and a uh, like. Uh, legal, legal argumentative tradition about prayer. So there's all sorts of debates and dialogues about uh, about those uh, principles. Um, but the Hasidic tradition, um, which uh, originated in the 18th century in Eastern Europe, um, was uh, was much more about uh, the inner core, the inner experience, the spiritual experience, the emotional experience of Judaism, uh, and prayer was a major part of that. And um, and it, it, you know the the Hasidim. We're really the first to innovate this idea or to popularize this idea that uh, one didn't need to know the words of the prayers or, you know, follow along in the prayer book or stand up when the rabbi told you to stand up or whatever in order to A, be a good Jew and B, for your prayer to work. Uh, They were much more interested uh, and had good, I think, Jewish uh, uh, textual basis for being interested um, in uh, in what was going on in a person's heart and a person's soul in the um, encounter prayer. What a God want um, out of prayer and what 
was uh, what was the human interest in prayer, the real human interest in prayer beyond um, just fulfilling commandments. So that's really uh, why the Hasidic tradition, um, uh, specifically on the issue of prayer, we're dealing with the issue of prayer um, as part of the, our overall educational theme uh, at the synagogue for the year uh, and uh, hoping that if we continue uh, the Hasidic Chavura next year we'll have a different educational theme and I'll pick a Hasidic uh, topic uh, or texts that, uh, that cover that educational theme but we'll spend this year on, on prayer through the Hasidic lens and why uh, the Hasidic tradition because um, it's, uh, it's, it's beautiful and I think really um, hits at the core of what many of us and my Myself included, are really looking for out of Judaism today, which is a sense of um, uh, of personal relevance and, and resonance um, with wherever we are on our own spiritual journeys. Um, I think most of us don't uh, relate to Judaism or don't only relate to Judaism as a, a system of um, uh, practices and rituals and uh, uh, and requirements that we check off a list. What we want is uh, the inner experience of those uh, rituals and requirements. If we do see them as requirements at all, um, so so I think the Hasidic masters um, are, are ripe for mining for uh, for that kind of meaning. The one we're looking at uh, is a, a book called the Nitivot Shalom. You can see that at the top of the page in Hebrew, Nitivot Shalom, um, which means the pathways of peace. Um, that that phrase, by the way, you might recognize from uh, the the prayer we sing when we put the Torahs back in the ark on on Shabbat morning. Right? We see. Um, Derecheha darche noam, right? We usually say it like this. Derecheha darche noam. In usually a better key than that. But, uh, um, uh, uh, shalom, right? All of the Torah's pathways are peace. That's where that uh, name of the book comes from. Uh, and it also is a play, as many Hasidic works. Uh, the titles of the books are often plays on the author's name. So in this case, the author is a rabbi named Shalom Noach Berezovsky of, uh, of Slonim. Um, and uh, so his name is Shalom. The book is called Nativot Shalom. Uh, and why I like Nativot Shalom um, is that... Um, uh, and I mentioned this last week, so I'll just say it very briefly. Uh, uh, he writes, uh, for, for anybody who knows uh, modern Hebrew, because he's a more contemporary uh, Hasidic master, although he passed away in the 90s, um, he writes, in, he, he lived most of his life in, uh, in, in Israel, or about half of his life in, in Israel, and his community is still in Israel, I think, in Bnei Brak. Uh, and even though, so he's from the old country, so he has that sort of old country Hasidic uh, spirit and insight, um, his language is, is very clear for the modern Hebrew speaker, um, as opposed to most other Hasidic works that uh, um, were usually transcribed um, after Shabbat, following whatever sermon the rabbi gave on Shabbat, the, some of his students would, would try to memorize what, he, what that uh, teacher had said and then transcribe it after Shabbat. But usually in uh, the, those traditional Hasidic masters would have given their sermons in Yiddish. And most of the books, as we might see down the road, uh, are written in Hebrew. And what that means is uh, that their students um, not only transcribed the, the Yiddish text from memory, 
um, which has its own problems, uh, but also then translated it into Hebrew, which they wanted to do because of the sacred language and for posterity and all those things. Um, but these were non-native Hebrew speakers um, trying to translate Yiddish into Hebrew, and so the, it's, it's, um, it can be sometimes difficult to, uh, to unpack and, and decipher. So that's why we're starting with, with this text. Uh, we started it last week. And, uh, and, and what the Nitzvot Shalom starts with is a, uh, is a, is a, uh, a, a problem, um, in the Jewish legal tradition. Okay, the problem in the Jewish legal tradition is that Maimonides, Rambam, who, uh, um, the, the great 12th century, um, uh, sage from, uh, Spain and North Africa, he wrote a code of Jewish law called the Mishnah Torah. Right, which right, which outlines all of the different rules and regulations regarding every aspect of Jewish life, and and prayer being one of them, and so he says two seemingly uh, contradictory things. One thing he says um, is that uh, um, uh, is that uh, uh, a person um, is supposed to um, uh, uh, recite uh, particular prayers, um, and is supposed to do it um, each and every day on a certain amount of times per day. But he also says that a person is supposed to pray with what's called kavana, which means intention. Uh, and we spent a little bit of time, we'll spend more time this week talking about what does that mean, intention? What does it mean to have intention when you pray? Um, but those two things might be harmonious, that you're, that you're supposed to pray um, uh, particular times a day, but you're also supposed to pray with kavanah, with intentionality. And depending on what we mean by intentionality, those could be conflicting because I might be required to pray and say some certain words and do certain kinds of prayers at a particular time of day where I may not feel moved to pray. Right? Or I might, uh, depending on what we mean by kavanah, I might not necessarily know what I'm, what I'm saying when I pray those words. So they may not be meaningful to me, and so therefore I might not have intention when I do it. So there seems to be a possible contradiction in what Maimonides lays out in his code of law. That's what we spent a little bit of time uh, discussing uh, last week, all under the general rubric, which is the title of the essay, that... Um, uh, the, there's a teaching in the Talmud. I actually mentioned this on uh, Kol Nidre this year in my in my sermon. That the Talmud says Avodah um, Balev Zot that uh, that prayer Tfilah is the service of the heart. Right. Um, but again, if prayer is the service of the heart, right, then why am I required to say all these words at particular times of day? You know that I didn't write those words. I didn't determine what time of day it's supposed to be. If it's supposed to be coming from my heart, then, then uh, there seems to be a contradiction. Okay, so we're now in, and I, and, and I, I, I said I would explain the, the Chinese newspaper here, so uh, I recognize that, uh, that, that giving a, uh, an all-Hebrew text is, uh, is beyond many people's comfort zones. Um, one of the challenges of uh, Hasidic works um, is that not many of them are, have been yet translated into English. The ones that have been translated into English um, are often translated with agendas, uh, and uh, and so short of 
me doing the work of translating this whole thing into English, which maybe one day I'll do, um, uh, there, it doesn't exist. So uh, I'm just going to do the best that I can to point out where we are. Um, I'll translate everything, of course, as I, as I read it, and then hopefully um, engage in, in conversation with everybody. And, and anybody is free to uh, uh, interrupt with a question, a comment, an insight, uh, uh, whatever you have. Okay, so we're going to start today with the second paragraph here. In the first, the you know, Hebrew goes from right to left, so we're in the first column, column Aleph, second paragraph. Uvedat Harambam. So, in the opinion of the Rambam, the opinion of Maimonides, Shim Lokiven Libo Yachzor Palel. That if a person doesn't have the proper intention, doesn't Kiven Libo is the is the technical term here. It means direct one's heart. Which I think uh, is an interesting phrase to use, right? That that it's not um, it's not about understanding so much as it is um, to have your heart in the right place. Um, but if a person doesn't direct one's heart, he should go back and pray. He or she should go back and pray, right? And, and from a technical point of view, when Maimonides, when someone in Jewish law uses the word word tefillah or the verb of that yitpalel, um, they they're technically referring to the Amida, which is uh, really kind of the centerpiece of most Jewish prayer services. Um, you would recognize the Amida um, because the Amida, Amida literally means standing, right? And so it's the part of the service where we uh, pray uh, privately uh, standing. Uh, usually, except for in the evening service, it's introduced by uh, three blessings that we say out loud. Um, the first is concluded by Magain Avraham, the second is concluded by Mechaye Hametim, and the third is known as the Kedusha, where we do all the bowing and the and the, the different things. You guys have an awareness of what I'm referring to, or is that not clear for anybody? Okay, so that's the centerpiece of, uh, of Jewish prayer. That's what, when the rabbis talk about the word tefillah, they're, they're referring to that. That's That's... The technical legal requirement of prayer each and every day, the three times a day prayer, technically really only refers to that prayer or that series of blessings. Um, and so when, so when Maimonides says if, you, if a person doesn't direct his heart in that moment of prayer, he should go back and do it over. Hine mistayemet l'shono, mashma shezed din b'chol ha-tfilah. Okay? So it, 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 one can infer from his words that that's the ruling with all of prayer. That intention uh, prevents one from fulfilling one's obligation to prayer. Or, or the proper intention, or praying without the proper intention, would prevent a person from uh, fulfilling their obligation. Right? In other words, we have an obligation to do that prayer three times a day, every day, on some days four times a day, on some days five times a day, uh, depending on the day of the week, Shabbat and holidays four times a day, uh, Yom Kippur five times. Um, we have uh, an obligation to, to do that prayer, that Amida, three times a day, and uh, it seems, Nativo Shalom is saying from the Maimonides' words, that you're, if you don't have the proper intention, each of those times you, you haven't fulfilled your obligation to pray. You've got to go back and do it over because you haven't fulfilled your obligation. V'kasheh. But there's a challenge you could raise to this. Shebeperak Yud, so that in the 10th chapter, Ditvilah, of his laws of prayer, Katav, Vezeloshono, and this is what he says. Mishmipalel velokiven libo yachzor vipalel vekavana. 
Okay, so he says, someone who doesn't, someone who prays and doesn't have the proper intention should go back and pray with proper intention. But if you had the proper intention just in the first blessing of the Amidah, right? And in the weekday Amidah, there are 18 such blessings. Uh, on Shabbat, there are seven blessings in the Amidah. But if you had the proper intention just in that first blessing, you no longer need to have intention in the rest of the Amidah. Right? In other words, you could do the rest of the 17 blessings of the Amida without any intention at all, without proper intention, just you know, speed reading or you know, uh, whatever. Right? Um, so, so he's raising a challenge in Maimonides' uh, law. Okay, what's the challenge? To find intent. Right. So. So, what are the two con- contradictory things Maimonides seems to be saying? Well, he's saying go back and do it again if you don't feel like you have intent. Right, good. That's, the, that's one thing Maimonides says. And what's the contradictory thing? Well, what you said earlier about praying from the heart. Okay, so that's the that's the bigger issue that that uh, that we're wrestling with. You're absolutely right about that. So the other con- the contradictory thing in this kind of specific sense is Maimonides says if you don't have proper intention, you got to go back and do it over. But if you had the proper intention just in the first of eighteen blessings, then you don't have to do it over. Okay, Maimonides. So which is it? Do you have to have intention with all of the Amida, which is what the first part of what you said seems to imply, or do you have to have intention just the first blessing? Okay. Um, so why well, is that? If you have the intention in the beginning, even though it may seem to fade, it carries through. You, you, mm. Once you start with the heart, it just sort of flows, and you may not even know. The, the heart knows a lot of things that the mind doesn't. Um, yeah, okay, uh, that, that may be true, right? Um, so there may be a sense that, oh, let's, let's, let, I, I won't argue against it, let's just hold it for a second. There may be a sense that if you uh, start with the problem, your heart and your mind are aligned, right? That's, that's really kind of what it's, what it's saying, right? You, you're, you're conscious of the fact that your heart is in the right place with prayer. Then even if at some point in prayer there's a, disconnect between your heart and your mind, that link severs, your heart may still be in the right place even though you're not aware of it. That's a beautiful idea, a beautiful image. Um, I was thinking about it in a slightly different way, which is, you ever, you ever have this happen to you that like you get in your car after work or whatever and, um, and you get home, but you like have no idea how you got there? <laughs> you're like sitting in your driveway and you like feel like you've been there for right so I mean like in some ways that that feels like what he's talking about here is that I mean I guess you're that that hits to what you're saying uh David is that um is that you ended up in the right place anyway right uh so so maybe it's not such a big deal um but um yeah okay all right let's sit with that for, for I'm getting a Right. So is that a good thing or a bad thing, are you saying? Um, I would say it's a good thing. <laughs> well, well, sometimes you can go through the Amida, and all of a sudden you get yourself, did I just read that? <laughs> right, right. 
real life. I was wondering, you know, we try for perfect, but right. we often miss it. Right. And does that mean you've totally failed? Uh, good. Okay. That's so. That's so. So really great to to bring it down to our to our real experience, right? And so that may be one way of reconciling what Maimonides says, right? What Maimonides says is um, the terms Carly uses lechatchila, which means um, our primary responsibility. Like if you know from the outset, uh, we should think about prayer this way: got to do everything with kavanah. Right, everything with intention. But if it turned out after we had done it that we realized we'd only done the first prayer with intention and not the rest of it, you know, we finished the Amida, we were like, how did I get there? But we knew that when, when I started it anyway, I knew I would, you know, when I got in my car, I knew I was headed home, right? Um, that uh, that bidiyavad, which means um, uh, uh, um, I don't know how what's the best way of translating it. Um, it means the uh, the 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 um, so like all these like yeshiva words that like you don't know how to translate into English. Um, the um, I always think of it as real life interrupts and doesn't match the perfect, but that's not a translation. Yeah, right. The, the, the right, right. The 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 acceptable um, the acceptable. Uh, Outcome, uh, even if not ideal, right? Um, so, uh, um, especially if it was not your intended outcome, right? Um, so, th- there's probably a better way of translating that term, but uh, I'll come up with it uh, probably after we're all done. Um, but uh, right, so coffee. I have an excuse. But but so anyway, what Carlos pointing out is not just in the issue of prayer, right? Is that the issue of of life? There's 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 always you know like our 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 best intentions. Um, and the reality that we can live with, right? And uh, and so maybe that's what Maimonides is setting up, right? That, that there's our best intention in prayer, and then there's the reality that we can live with. And if there's a reality that we can't live with, we got to go back and do it all over again, right? Um, all right, let's go on a little bit further. So uh, if you want to follow along, I'm in one, two, three, four, uh, five, six lines in. Um, uh, that second paragraph. Hare mevoar... Right, so uh, Maimonides um, is explaining that intention does not prevent your ability to fulfill your obligation for prayer, except for in the first blessing. He's just explaining uh, what Maimonides says. V'yafeh bi'erzot ha'ga'on rabbeinu chananel halevi besifro. So I, I really like he's saying I really like the explanation of this uh, other rabbi in in his in his book. Okay, and this is really I, I think uh, worthy for for us to consider. Um, there are two kinds of intention in prayer. Aleph, the first, kavanat perush hamilot shemotzi mepiv batfila. The intention of the meaning of the words that come out of a person's mouth in prayer. Right? In other words, you're reading the, the, the prayer book and do you understand the words that you're saying? Right? Do you feel, do you have emotion behind the words that you're saying? So there's, I guess, two levels of understanding. There's intellectual understanding and then embodiment, right? Can you identify with these words? 
Okay? Um, I think that enough of us have a problem with the first level of understanding, which is I say the words, you know, um, especially in the things that we're supposed to say out loud, and I know, I, I know them, uh, but I don't really understand them. And then the, the second thing, even if you get past that first barrier, the second thing is even harder, which is, you know, these are words that somebody else wrote 2,000 years ago or sometimes more, and what do they really have to do with me, right? And I think that, that uh, if, a, if in our context, if a person gets past the first hurdle, they're often stopped by the second hurdle, right? And so um, often people are stymied in prayer because they can't get uh, any semblance of that kind of kavanah. Right, um, and they and, and we approach prayer sometimes because prayer is uh, you know in the prayers of our service are in a prayer book. We have a fixed liturgy for the most part. Um, we often are uh, get the impression that prayer is meant to be a. Um, uh, uh, I always forget which one is which. Which which one is the, like the creative artistic side of your brain, and which one is the like logical. Uh, which one's the which one's left and which one's right? You may know. Left is creative. So we, we think of prayer like it's a right brain activity, right? So like it's like it's um uh like it's interpretive reading, right? Like it's uh like it's on the SATs when you have the reading comprehension test, right? And so we think about prayer that way, right? But there's a second kind of kavanah he says about prayer. Hashem. <laughs> Right? This kind of kavanah is that, this kind of intention is that you direct your heart, you intend in your heart uh, that you're standing um, opposite the presence of God. So there's two kinds of kavanah. Right? One is the, un, the, the comprehension kind of kavanah. And the other is the spiritual, I'd say, kavanah, right? Can you feel like in that moment of prayer, forgetting about whether or not you really understand the words, but just in the act of standing there, that you're standing in the presence of God? And we try to do this. We have, you know, written above the ark. I don't know if anybody's ever noticed this or, or, or thought about it. Um, but we have a, a phrase uh, on written on the ark. Uh, it's also written in English at the back of well, the front of the room, I guess, where, you know, over the door. Um, the phrase is uh, from the Bible, Shiviti Adonai Lenegdi Tamid. Um, I place God's presence before me always. Uh, in, some, in some synagogues that you go to, you'll see a, a, a similar idea, but a different phrase written, which is, Dalifne Miata Omed, know before whom you stand. And the idea of all those is actually, I think, to get to the second level of kavanah, which is whether or not you know or identify with the words of the prayer book, can you place yourself, imagine yourself, feel in that moment that you're standing in the presence of the Holy One? Well, that seems to be the whole problem, right? You just, you can stand, feel that you're standing in the presence of God, but, and you can have intent, but you may not know what the words mean. Right, so, um, so I guess the question that's raised here, I love that, I guess the question that's raised here is, do you need to have the second thing if you have the first thing? Or maybe the other way around. Do you need to have the second? Do you, or the, the, I meant the other way around. Do you need to have the first thing if you have the second thing? I guess you can ask it the other way around too. Do you need to have the second thing if you have the first thing? Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's funny. I mean, like in some ways, my Colney Dre sermon, 
I was trying to make that second argument, right? Like if you have the first thing, you don't necessarily need the second thing. And I think the second thing is, is, is challenging, problematic for some people in our context who wrestle with the idea of God or outright reject the idea of God. And so, you know, so they never come, they, you know, why come to shul if I, if I can't, if, if the, if the goal of prayer is to uh, feel like I'm standing in the presence of God, but I don't believe in God. So why imagine that I'm standing in the presence of God? And so I was trying to make maybe the other argument, which is, okay, so don't worry about that. Uh, see the words as a mirror that you're holding up to yourself. But I'm actually not sure uh, now that I'm reflecting on it, like maybe that was totally wrong. Right? Maybe that was totally wrong headed. Maybe I should have uh, made, made the other argument, which is if you have the second kind of kavanah, don't worry about the first kind of kavanah. Right? Don't worry about whether or not you know what the words mean. Try to meditate enough so that you're in a space where you really feel like you're in God's presence. And once you feel like you're in God's presence, say whatever you want to say in the presence of God. Next year's cold new drink. Maybe next year's cold new drink, right? Well, I would... The school of people that talk about speaking in tongues. Mm. This is speaking to God with Kavanaugh, whether uh, whether you can understand the words or not. Your heart knows the words, whether your head does or not. I'm also thinking about the book that I've just begun reading that talks about traditional Jewish liturgy as guided imagery. Mm. And um, yeah. it really seems to fit here very well which I wouldn't have found the book if it hadn't been for your article that right. I ended up debating. This, right. was, this was the result of that conversation. What's, what's the book? <laughs> the book is called Jewish Liturgy as a Spiritual... Something, it's um, um, Rosenberg. Um, oh, it's on my Kindle. Okay, if you, if you find it, share, oh, share, oh, no, share it with the class. Um, with everybody. When I don't understand what the prayers are, I mean, in, the, in this, it, it seems to me it's the same thing how we talk about an outside God and an inside God, mm -hmm. both God. Yeah. And so, um, for me, when I don't understand it, I just think, what does it mean to me? Or what if I don't have a meaning for it, what does it feel like? So even if there's Hebrew that I can't even imagine what that means to me, I can wonder what it feels like. And then if you start out with the intention to connect with the prayer and your mind wanders, is your mind really wandering or are you connecting with a prayer so deeply it's now about what does it mean to you and it connects you to maybe thoughts of your life but like a dream, maybe you're working out yeah. prayer. I mean, obviously you have to have the intention to stay connected <laughs> in some way to do that so you're not just thinking about your laundry, but... <laughs> well, right. I mean, so I, and then I and my mind went to that when when you were saying, you know, it's okay if your mind wanders, and, I, and and so part of me was thinking like, well, okay, like what if my mind wanders to like the email I needed to send, which often, you know, very often happens to me in prayer. Like that's the time where like I realize all the calls I needed to make or the emails I needed to send, or whatever. Um, although you know, maybe with the with, with the right mindset, maybe you can understand those moments as. Uh, you know, maybe this is actually something that God is trying to point out to me in my life, right? Maybe this is actually the the, the spiritual uh, insight I needed to have is a, that there's somebody I, I, I should have been connecting with and that I didn't connect with, right? So part of it is perspective, right? Can you, can you understand your mind wandering uh, through the prism of being in the presence of God? You have to be intentional about where your mind is wandering and how to bring it back. Right, right. Um, you know the the uh, um, uh, I have a um, 
a friend who is a, a, a therapist. He specializes in, in, in art therapy and creative kinds of therapies. And we were talking about dreams once, and, um, and and you know, and I said, you know, I think that dreams are, are probably more like you know, like like your mind passing gas at night. You know, they're not really. And, uh, and and he didn't. It wasn't his perspective. His perspective was that there are all sorts of aspects of our subconscious that that. Um, come alive for us in potentially meaningful ways um, in, in our dreams. Part of it is how we interpret it, but already the process of interpretation um, is a right brain activity, right? And, and, uh, and so, you know, it's a different kind of logic, a different kind of knowing in dreams, right? Where, like, you know, uh, in, in our world, in our lives, you know, one plus one equals two. In, in the dream consciousness, one plus one equals purple, Right, and so we, with the process of trying to interpret it already kind of moves it into a realm that is um, not authentic to the dream state. Right, so uh, so so part of it is trying to um, to, to uh, uh, say not you know what does it mean, um, but to check in with the images from that dream or from that mind wandering moment. And say you know um, uh, you know thank you iPhone that just popped into my head. What are you trying to teach me, right? Uh, what are you trying to show me right now? Um, yeah, or what does iPhone mean to you? Is that functioning? Is that staying connected? Another side of wandering for me personally, if I find myself having too much trouble holding, I mean, all of us have our mind wander, but sometimes you pull your mind back into the prayer and it wanders out. It can indicate things, I'll say physically, about my life. You're not getting enough sleep. You're not taking time out to think, to sit and just let your mind wander and pull things in when you're not in prayer. The only time you can get this calm and you aren't racing is when you're stopping to pray. You need to slow up life a little bit and give yourself, instead of going home and flipping on the TV, go home and sit on the couch for half an hour and let this happen when it's not prayer and process through. Well, right, and that's and, and that's a, a, a an important insight from you know meditative practice is um, is that sometimes just the fact of you know sitting quietly or sitting without really a lot of external stimulus, um, although there's some external stimuli in, in prayer, uh, you know, it gives uh, opportunity for uh, um, for your mind to raise anxieties that are actually not healthy anxieties, right? Or, uh, or, or not clear anxieties. Uh, and, and maybe one of the tasks of prayer is to be able to acknowledge, right? Um, no, you know, that's an anxiety that I don't need to deal with right now. And to actually use the space, you know, this part of the idea of being in the presence of God, being in the service of God, you have no other masters beside God, right? And so oftentimes the things, the anxieties, the, the ideas, the, the consciousness that, that, that are, or the, 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 whatever, the concepts that arise in my consciousness are all things that are trying to be masters over me, right? Um, the emails I need to send, whatever, right? And, um, and so part of the intention maybe of saying that, that the right intention of prayer is standing in the presence of God, is saying in those quiet moments when all of these things are going to pop up and try to exert their control over you, remember you're in the presence of God. There's only, there's only one important master at that moment, right? And it's not your emails, right? It's not your, the bills you the forgot bills. to pay, right? I mean, it's right. Um, 
Let's read a little bit further. So now we're on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten lines in after the period. Ve'al kavanazo katav rabenu beperek daladetvila. Okay, so it's about that second intention, about the intention of standing in the presence of God that our uh, teacher, meaning Maimonides, taught in the fourth chapter of his Laws of Prayer. She'im eno mechaven bechol ha-tvila einzo tvila. So it's that second intention. When Maimonides says that if you didn't have intention throughout your prayer, it wasn't really prayer, what he meant was that second kind of intention. That's the primary intentionality you need to have in prayer which is the awareness that you're standing in the presence of God. And if you don't have that awareness, then it's not really prayer. If you have that awareness, it doesn't really matter what you say. Except for maybe in the first blessing of the Amida, right? Where, where it sounds like you need to have that first kind of awareness of, 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 uh, of at least understanding the words you're saying, maybe even intending the words you're saying, embodying the words you're saying. But the rest of prayer, you don't need that. All you need is the awareness that you're standing in the presence of God. Ukemoshe katav sham, and there's a the commentator on the uh, on Maimonides, the Taz, the Torah Zahav. Umahi hakavana shifane et libo mikol hamachshavot virae atzmok ilu omed neged hashchina. So, what does that kind of kavana look like? What does that kind of intention look like? That you open your heart from all other, you clear your heart of all other thoughts. And you meditate only on the thought of seeing yourself as if you're standing opposite the, uh, the divine presence. Opposite God's presence. Right? In some way, like Zen meditation. Right? Um, that, you, that, that you clear your mind. Right? So all these thoughts that pop up, pop up, your mind wandering, whatever, it doesn't really matter what you're saying. Maybe it doesn't matter that you say anything at all. Right? It's, it's, it's holding one idea in your consciousness. That you stand in the presence of God. That's, that kind of intention is the core of prayer. And if you don't have the intention that you're standing um, uh, opposite the presence of God, then it's not prayer at all. And so that first blessing that Maimonides says that you need to have intention for, or otherwise you have to go back and do it over, it's really only talking about this statement that the rabbis make that you need to have intention in all of prayer, but if you have intention only in one blessing, you've done enough. So what Maimonides is laying out is you need to have maybe that first kind of intention in a little bit of your prayer, right? So, so fine, you know, from like a from a right brain sort of thing, you know, learn the words of that first blessing of the Amida, figure out what it means to you. When you get to that moment, have intention for it. The rest of prayer, if you have that kind of intention, good. If not, that's not what you should focus on. What you focus on is, how do I feel? How do I see myself as if in this moment, I'm standing directly in the presence of God? 
ואם כי להלכה דנו באחרונים על דבריו ראויים הדברים למי שאומרם בעצם מחוץ לתפילה, אוקיי? אז Let's go on just a little bit further. We're in the um, second column, the left column, uh, in the, the, um, the first full paragraph. Top of the first full paragraph. The Hine v'divreha Rambam. So we, we find in the words of Maimonides, Anu ro'im kama inyanim b'mahut ha'tfilah. We see a, a few uh, issues with the, uh, with the essence of prayer. A person is supposed to pray and supplicate every day before God. May, may God be blessed. One's supposed to um, uh, utter the praises of God. And, someone, and, and one is supposed to uh, um, ask for his or her needs um, that, that, that he has or she has in, her, in, in his or her life um, with, uh, with requests and supplications. Right, so Maimonides, this we covered a little bit last week. He's just kind of going back to this idea. There are really three aspects of prayer in Judaism. Um, uh, Anne Lamott, uh, the, the writer, uh, phrases it like this. She says, help, thanks, and wow. Right? Um, so uh, so uh, two-thirds of Jewish prayer are, are thanks and wow. Right? Those are the first two-thirds that uh, Maimonides talks about. And then the third is, is help. Right? To, to, um, to get in touch with um, with what it is that we really most need in our life and to give expression to those. Right? And so we should understand that all of those things, even though they have, they, each of those things are given expression by the formalistic and by the, uh, uh, the, the, the fixed uh, words of the prayers in the prayer book, Really, those issues are what we mean by we say prayer being the service of the heart, right? Because all of those things are meant to be um, personal expressions, individual expressions, right? Which goes back to this idea that the essence of the intentionality in prayer is to feel as though, see oneself as though they're standing in the presence of God. Forget what all the meaning of the words are. If you feel like you're standing in the presence of God, and then in that context, can utter your thanks for whatever it is you need to thank God for in that moment. To utter your expression of wow, of wonder, of awe, of praise at the world that you have, which is very much connected to your expressions of thanks. And then to pour out your heart with your um, expressions of what you need help with, what you need guidance with, what you need support with, right? Those are all, uh, at their core, issues of avodah shebalev, right? That's the work of the heart. That's from within. That Those aren't the words in the prayer. I mean, the words in the prayer book might help you if you can't connect with what's really going on in your life. Um, but at its core, it's supposed to be things that are coming from, from your heart. 
ומהי חשיבות העבודה שהוא שואל צרכיו בבקשה ובתחנונים? הלא מאן דכאיב לי כאיבה מבקש ממי שיש בידו שיסיר ממנו הכאב. Right? So what's the essence of praying, of, of asking for uh, help with things? Right? If it were, if it's not that um, that if you have, if a person has a kind of pain, then you would go uh, find a person and request help from a person who has the capacity to alleviate that pain. Right? And in in this sense, we believe uh, a certain set of things about God, um, and among them is God's capacity to be a healer of broken hearts. Right, to be a healer of crushed souls. In some cases, to be um, a source of strength and support for the moments in our life when we might be physically pained. Right? Not necessarily that God will heal our physically pain, physical pain, but that God can be a presence uh, um, and, and a strength um, to help us endure those challenges and that pain. So we can find about this in, in another uh, um, uh, book of, uh, of, of Jewish law. Uh, excuse me, uh, this is not a book of Jewish law, this is a Hasidic book. Um, this is the, the first rabbi of Slonim's book, the Slonim uh, Hasidic dynasty's book. Shekol inyane avodat Hashem, v'chol mitzvot hatluyot balev, all issues of the service of God and all commandments that are uh, that are dependent on matters of the heart, like for example, the commandment in the Shema, right? That you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. All of those things. All of them are encompassed in matters of prayer. The Chazal Amru and our sages of blessed memory uh, taught in the Midrash. Ra'a Moshe Rabbeinu alav ha'shalom shebet hamikdash atid lecharev. Okay, so Moses, our teacher uh, of blessed memory, uh, saw that the holy temple would eventually be destroyed. And so he established for the Jews that they would pray three times a day, every day. And so from this, you should learn the, uh, the, 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 the um, extreme uh, height of tefillah, the level of, of prayer. Shirak inyan HaTefillah because the only thing that the Jewish people have after the destruction of the temple is prayer. Right? The temple used to be the, the, the central feature of uh, Jewish religious life. Um, there wasn't really such a thing in the time that the temple stood as a personal piety, although it did probably exist, um, but it wasn't central to Jewish uh, uh, practice. There wasn't really such a thing as personal Torah study in the time that the temple existed. Right? All real religious life centered around the temple, and what um, and what the what what the Tivot Shalom is saying here is that in the same way, at its core, the central uh, Jewish religious act, religious expression in our time is prayer. The only way we have 
to encounter God, um, to connect with God on the same level, is prayer. Right? There are other worthy activities that we can do, but on a, full, a fundamental core level, prayer is it. Prayer is where the magic happens. Um, it seems like, Rabbi, yeah. that, uh, like this is the core subject and possibly... You know, we're studying it now as adults, but shouldn't this be part of what our children learn? Um, and maybe not obviously on this level, but on another level. That seems to me it's like the core of the curriculum. And that should be something that's really important and taught to our children because that's what we are yearning to learn. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it's yeah. So the discussions going on with a lot of Jewish educators right now is how to put prayer back at the center, both in day schools and non. I'm part of a group called Jed Lab, mm-hmm. and that has been a lot of the discussion over the last year, year and a half. So it's not just here that that, that people are asking that question, right? And especially when you have kids that come from families where maybe there isn't a strong belief in God, right? But how do we do Jewish prayer? Right, and, and, and on some level, I'll go you know, even a level deeper than that, especially at a certain age, um, kids actually have the most natural ability to, uh, to see themselves as standing in God's presence and, and, and have those conversations and those communications, and um, we don't do a good job. It's not so much teaching this to them as it is nurturing their innate ability to, to have it. We, we actually do a lot to contradict that, right? So we, we tell them you know, the difference between uh, reality and imagination, right? But in some ways, prayer is a cultivation of the imagination, right? Um, and we also tell them, uh, yeah, 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 your personal conversation with God is all well and good. You also got to you gotta learn Modani, you got to learn Shema, you got to learn, right? We got to do it right. We got to do it right, right? Um, and like, there, there's value to that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't teach kids, you know, those prayers. And we only have a limited amount of time to reach our kids. Um, but something is definitely lost in that process, right? We, we sort of tell our kids, you know, your own inner ability, your innate ability to connect to God, we're not going to focus on that now. What we really got to do is, uh, is, is, you know, teach you, you know, how to say the first three blessings of the Amida out loud, right? Um, so, I, yeah. I, lo- I love watching Lila. It seems like a really important thing here, this um, talk about prayer and intention of prayer and what's in your heart. <laughs> this sounds to me like it's like a key thing. Yeah. Like maybe, you know, the Gettysburg address of yeah. Judaism, and it just sounds like, uh, I mean, that's not what we're here to talk about the school situation, but it would seem to me that this is a really important concept for us to pass on to our children, and we are responsible as parents, but I think it could be expounded upon for our children. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but I want to I wanna push a little bit. Um, okay, sorry. No, 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 it's okay, because you, it's a really uh, important point. But I want to say, for us, how does this sit? Right? How, how do you, you know, yes, we can say oh, this is an important thing, but how, how, how are you feeling? How are you relating to this teaching that, uh, that's saying you know, the, the essence of prayer? You know, prayer is the essence of Judaism, right? It's all we have. And the essence of it is, um, is, is seeing oneself as though one is standing in the presence of the divine. Well, it's like a, a validation of when you pray, I know what I am. I can't focus on the words 100%. Yeah. And sometimes 
your mind wanders a little, say, okay, just remember that what you're doing here and why you're here, and if your mind does wander, that's okay too, but you're still in a holy spot, and this is really where you're coming face to face with God. I think in some ways, having converted, I have it easier because I came from a faith tradition where this was natural. Imagining yourself or, you know, placing yourself, not even so much thinking of it as imagination, but just thinking, I'm coming to services, I am in the presence of God. The I am part of it was a natural part of how I grew up. So pulling that into Judaism has been the hard part when I get in, and so much is the the other side of it, not that that's bad. I like the liturgical tradition, but I came from a very non-liturgically traditioned part of Christianity mm-hmm. that was not do do anything you want, but more free form. Right. And it's really been in the last couple of years that I've watched those two come together and picked up the parts of my past that fit. Obviously, not all the theology fits, but a lot of the conceptualization and a lot of the theology fits. Right. Concept of God didn't have to change. Um, um, it was just bringing it back in and finding it a lot through Hasidic teaching. Yeah. And and you know and and loving the structure, but finding that place. So I, I think I have it easier. I do. It is a struggle for a lot of people. And in that way, I think I'm kind of blessed. I came. I came from a much more structured tradition, and the object in having formal prayer and a prayer book is to bring community together that in the presence of God we can strengthen our beliefs and become more one and more one with God there's also a sense and and thank you for your insights and for for wrestling with this and we can certainly talk more we're going to pick up on this idea um, next month uh, and continue this paragraph um, but as you know, I think that, that ultimately, I mean, the goal I think is to have a, uh, a, a constant awareness that one is in the presence of God, because, uh, first of all, it's what we believe is the reality, right? That we're always in the presence of God. Um, and, 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 and it's in a lot of ways through that awareness of being perpetually in the presence of God that we can, um, really live, uh, lives of righteousness and, and, uh, do the work that we're called to do in the world without, without all the distractions that often take us away from it or, or, or even worse, the, the, the impulses that, that pull us back down. Um, but I was thinking about this as, as we were having this conversation about, um, I, I don't know if you, any of you have done this. My insurance company, my car insurance company, gave me this thing to put in my car uh, to track my driving to um, uh, to get discount on my insurance. Uh, uh, I think they have it too, but I have Liberty Mutual. Um, and so they put it, so they have in the instructions like, okay, you're going to put this in your car and, uh, and, and, uh, and just drive normally. And I thought to myself as I'm putting it in, I'm like, how am I going to drive normally? I know this thing is in my car. Of course I'm going to drive uh, better than I always do. And I made sure, by the way, to ask before I got the thing in my car, like, is there any way my insurance will go up by having this thing in my car? They said no. So um, I said, like, obviously it's going to go down. Like, I'm going to drive excellently when I have this thing in my car. And it turns out that after, you know, probably a few hours of having it in my car, I totally forgot that it was in there. And I just like, went back to driving like I normally did. 
And so this, this, the, the whole, the idea of prayer and having regular prayer practice three times a day, every day, Shabbat, everything, right? You might say, okay, you're like, why do I need that? I, why can't I just be in the presence of God always? And the reality is that uh, we become like the driver who has that monitor in their car, right? Being, in, it, it being, having an intellectual sense of, you know, okay, I'm in the presence of God is different than having the internal uh, awareness and feeling at all times. And so, in some ways, prayer is training for life, right? Of, uh, of, of coming into a space and, and, and reminding ourselves, oh yeah, I'm in God's presence, but then eventually cultivating a real uh, a sense that it's not just in this space, it's also out there, and it's to carry one from the other. It's why we always start our prayer with uh, with uh, um, at, on Shabbat morning um, with the um, uh, with the uh, kavanah of uh, a rabbi named uh, Rabbi Isaac Luria, um, which is um, I accept upon myself the obligation from my Creator to love your fellow as yourself. Um, because uh, the idea, I think, and why we why prayer is all we have, or the essence of what we have as Jews, is because it's meant to be training for life, right? Meant to be preparation for how we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to see ourselves, how we're supposed to see the world around us and each other once we leave the space of prayer. So we'll pick up on this uh, next time. Let's conclude with just a quick closing blessing and then a little bit of singing. So. Uh, uh, God, thank you for the opportunity that we had to learn together today. Uh, we hope that uh, this was uh, meaningful learning for everybody here, that some of it that uh, we each uh, were able to walk away, um, even with just one uh, insight or new piece of information or new uh, connection uh, that we drew from. Maybe it's a new connection of uh, people that we met, a new insight learned from uh, someone that uh, with whom we were learning. Um, a new way of uh, approaching uh, our lives or our tradition. Uh, and we pray that uh, between this time and next time we learn together, uh, that uh, we're able to go forth, make many friends, and uh, be able to join back together in, uh, in, in joy and in health um, in uh, 